0: I love about this seeing these different research the way charlie has dug into so many different categories and you've come from a difference it just educates and lifts all of us in our category to, to keep asking
1: questions from different areas I, I love what you've done in your study david we learned quite a bit about how consumers were behaving before the pandemic versus after before the pandemic Your best advocates were largely, and I mean overwhelmingly, your biggest spenders. Those who spent the most amount of money and engaged with your brand the most, these were your biggest advocates. And what we found was that it didn't quite shake out that way now
2: obvious is you know we'll help people out with their grocery spend or the obvious is we'll do the kind of little treats and help with those spends but I think there's going to be some really interesting stuff that comes out and I think that work you did on healthcare I was like actually that's really interesting because that's you know something that we can see you know in our audiences in our customers we see it you know with the clients that we work with all the time
3: hi I'm Ian Pringle and this is the Lawty podcast from New World Lawty where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this episode, we'll explore how customers' loyalty needs have changed since lockdown. To help me with this, I'm joined by three organizations who have looked into this from three different corners of the world. So please, could I welcome Charlie Hills from Bando Connect in London. Hi, Charlie.
2: Hello. Pleased to be here.
3: Brilliant. And David Andrigakis from Kobe Marketing in Florida. Hi, David. Hi, Ian and folks. It's great to see everyone. Brilliant. And uh, Adam Posner from Love or Money in Australia.
0: Hi, everyone. And good day to you all. Nice to be here. Yeah?
3: And did I get I always get it is love, love or money in Australia is love it, or money, isn't it?
0: It's for love or money. And that's what people you know, are looking for. They want love or do they want money.
3: Exactly. So the, the the quest of life, the quest of life. So we've got three studies to talk about today. So what I'd like to do is go around each of us and just have a brief introduction to yourself and the study and the main findings. And then we'll and then we'll have a discussion about what we see in commonalities, where we think there's there's things going around the world. So, Charlie, would you like to kick us off on that one?
2: yeah i'd be delighted um hello everyone my name is charlie hills i'm the md and head of strategy at mando connect uh, we are a partnerships and rewards specialist uh, agency based in london uh, and completely nerdy about loyalty as well probably almost as much as ian and my uh, my fellow loyalty nerds on the call and um, the research i'm going to be talking about today is a study that we've conducted every two years now since 2018 what the brits want from loyalty we conduct the study in partnership with yougov and we believe it's the biggest of its kind it looks at a kind of nationally representative sample uh, for our market what matters in loyalty what they're engaging with what they want what's coming and what's changing and I think our big findings um, from this year were that we're a big nation of loyalty lovers here in Britain I'm excited to hear more about the Australian and American markets. Oh, well, it's gonna be contest on that one I think it it will be. I mean, it's going to get competitive, isn't it? But no, I'm hoping that, you know, we're doing well. We've got 70% of our Brits kind of members of programmes. We've got 86% who find at least one appealing. We've got an average membership of four programmes, kind of topping out at about 20 uh, in Britain. So it's a really highly engaged, highly appealing market um, for loyalty. I think one of the other big things we found was diversity. We've got programmes across over 13 sectors. Uh, Traditionally, a market-dominated... Um, like many other markets in the world by sort of retail, grocery and pharmacy. We still have those three big programs um, in Britain, but we've seen some real innovation in other sectors, some particularly exciting stuff from the likes of coffee shops and restaurants. And actually at the moment, um, we're experiencing new program launching almost every week or relaunching every week from really big brands. So it's a really exciting time in Britain. And then the other kind of two key things that we picked up was the importance of rewards and actually how that is the number one thing that makes people Join a program and then keep engaging with it. And we've got some great insight about the type of rewards that they want. So I'm really excited to see how that compares across markets. And then that last kind of big trend in terms of what's coming, people are really excited about rewards of the future, but a big push for sustainability in our market. Mm. So we've got 71% of Brits saying actually they want programs to help support the environment and to help people live more sustainably. And then some really interesting kind of research into the tactics that programs can actually do to achieve that ambition. Mm. Because I think it can feel a little bit daunting at the beginning of how the hell can I help address this kind of major world issue so I think those were our key findings
3: there's some things that came out of what you said it's interesting isn't it the reward programs should be rewarding yeah (laughs) it's so funny but so so often forgotten
2: Yeah, I think I mean, it's one of the big frustrations that we've talked about before on in in various formats is that I think a brand or a program often thinks about what the program should be the business case of that program, what the mechanics should be what the proposition should be and actually the value that it gives the membership should really be front and center. And it should I think, um, be where a program starts actually, how can I really give people something that they want, that's going to build a genuine and authentic, emotional connection um, with them. And often, uh, unfortunately, sometimes It's the last place that people kind of finish up. And I think it was great to see in the research so clearly that it really is the number one thing. You know, people want discounts and offers, they want partner rewards in Britain. That's a huge, um, a huge kind of loyalty trend that we see in our market. You know, they want rewards from the brand offering the program, but they also want that program to kind of invest the effort to understand what other brands they like and bring rewards from those brands into their program experience. And then we also see that they obviously want free experiences and and first access. We're starting to see some new, softer um, rewards come through, but those are kind of the big three that we see um, in programs and desire. So, yeah, that real focus on what people actually want from the program should be front and center.
3: I think this is something that I'd like to hear from Adam as well, because within Adam's work, they do a comparison of of how hard it is to take part in a program, the effort you have to put in, the value you get out, isn't it, Adam? You know, you have something in there about that.
0: Yeah, I do have something out like there. One of the, uh, I think it might be the area of thinking about, it, which is the concerns that members have about programs. And I've been tracking that for the number of years um, as well, Ian. But just a little bit of background to the research, and I'll jump into that answer uh, as part of this this little intro. Uh, So For Love or Money is now in its 10th edition. I've been doing this research study independently in Australia for uh, 10 years, since 2013. And I've done 16 studies because I've also done New Zealand as well and comparative studies. So I've really collected a, a, a real benchmark and trend and changes but also always looking deeper into um, you know the new innovations by definition and it was really interesting Charlie talked about partnerships and and <laughs> that's a, you know I, I think that's old but it's new again I mean you guys are frequent flyer experts especially you Ian um, partnerships were the staple diet of of, of programs uh, in the frequent flyer space and now the typical other retail or other programs are suddenly waking up and realizing you know that partnerships are add value to a membership program so i find that fascinating that uh, that's resurrecting itself out of charlie's study um as well and, and specifically, in that charlie, yeah.
3: and, and in that, charlie you, you ask um how important are, are partnerships to to an organization or to a program and it's in almost every sector partnerships are important apart from utilities and beauty I think it was but almost every other sector it ranks higher than rewards from that own brand and that that surpri- it didn't surprise me but it it surprises me that that partnerships aren't more prevalent in loyalty you know coalition programs aren't growing right now why do you think that is?
2: I mean I think it would obviously vary by every market you know we've got one of the biggest and oldest kind of non-travel coalitions in the the UK the Nectar um, Coalition and it's a really popular program it's features in our top 10 it's it's a highly loved program I think in the context that we've been asking about partnerships it's been in that rewards space it's actually asking the consumer you're a member of a program do you want the brand that's offering the program to be giving you the rewards or do you want them to look outside of their ecosystem and actually offer you rewards? from a broader engaged suite of brands. And as you say, it's like that in nearly every single sector. I think I had a personal hypothesis. I'm sure you do, Adam and Dave, as well, when you go into these pieces of research about what we're going to see. And I think we had a hypothesis that perhaps the less engaging your sector was the more appealing partner brands would be. So if you were from a sort of a fairly staid utility, perhaps, then actually it would sort of naturally make sense that your members would want you to go to the things that they really love in life, you know, the cinema, eating out, time with their friends and family and offer you rewards in those spaces. And I think that is something that we've seen in the data. But I think what was new to us was that actually that cost of living crisis impact and that rising importance of value has actually meant we've seen a slight shift back actually So you talked about energy and utilities as a sector. It's a brand new sector. We've only started tracking it this year. Um, Extraordinarily, there aren't many brands in this space with programmes operating in Britain. Most of our energy providers don't have them. We've had a lot of challenges in this sector, a lot of brands um, going bust. So there's very few left with a loyalty programme. Shell Energy um, is one of them. They've got an integrated um, prop with Shell Go Plus now. But actually in that sector, partner rewards are less appealing. They're 24% less appealing um, than rewards from the brand itself and our hypothesis behind that is because values become so important and actually those things are becoming so expensive people just want the kind of core service back whereas in those sectors like supermarkets pharmacies retail finance petrol media mobile and, and airlines we see that the equation goes the other way around partner rewards are more appealing so that's the kind of context that we've looked at that in um, and i think it's made it's made for some really exciting rewards That we've seen kind of in the British loyalty space at the moment, you know, there's some real innovation. Um, You know, people are still giving away free coffees. It's still a really motivating reward (laughs) in Britain. It's one of the most desired um, rewards that's out there. But we've seen some really exciting things exacerbated by the lockdown. So the rise, I'm I'm sure, Adam and David, you're seeing it in your markets too. But we've seen a real rise in the sort of live digital experience um, offered by members. We've got brilliant programs like Sky VIP, My John Lewis, M&S Sparks, TK max treasure offering some really fantastic kind of curated digital experiences for their members which is something we didn't see at all um three years ago so uh, yeah it's been exciting
3: don't charlie I'm, I'm old enough to know that it used to be used to be toasters and uh and glasses <laughs> <laughs> and so david absolutely. can you talk us around your study um
1: yeah take, absolutely take a slightly
3: different angle to this
1: yeah we we had to we had to take a different angle we've seen a lot of studies that show Um, You know, the the rank order of what people want out of programs in terms of rewards and things like that, yet the data of what was motivating them and what they were redeeming for wasn't supporting what they said that they wanted. So we we had to figure out what we had to dig a little bit further in our research study. So we, we set ours out to figure out not only what customers were wanting and how they were interacting with the program itself, but also what was driving them to want that stuff? Like what were the, the emotional drivers and the other financial drivers that really pushed them towards a certain thing? And we also did uh, quite a bit of study, uh, or we dedicated a portion of our study to figuring out what's the impact of getting that wrong. And, you know, to, to the Char- Charlie's point on, you know, we need these rewards programs to be rewarding, we found some really interesting things about what a rewarding program really means or a rewarding um, offer might mean to a customer. And one of the things that we found that was super surprising to us was there's a trifecta effect, if you will, on getting the reward right, but also the experience of getting that reward and the recognition of the total relationship of the customer while getting that reward. And I know that sounds like like a lot, but let me just kind of put it to you this way. If I said, hey, would you like to have a steak dinner tonight, and you'd say, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. But then if I followed up and said, cool, I need you to go buy the steak and cook it, and then uh, we'll go eat at your place, you might not be as interested in in having a steak dinner. Rewards are pretty much the same thing. People can get enticed, uh, interested in a program. They could even participate in the program But if the experience of obtaining that reward tends to be long or tends to put a lot of work or pull them out of their way, it's too transactional for them. It feels like they're having to put more into the relationship, and they just don't get as much out of the program um, as you would think. And so we're, we're seeing many brands that are feeling like, well, I'm giving the customer a lot of value, and the answer is you are but it's not being positioned in a way that a good relationship would want to see that reward actually be positioned. So if you guys are following along, yeah, if you're following along with that and feeling some of those same things, that's the type of research that we did. What's the impact? What's the emotional feel? What's driving them to, to, to think the way that they are and what can brands actually do about it overall?
0: Yeah, I really like what you, how you've positioned that. I'm just looking at your, and I know some people haven't seen your research yet, um, and, and the way you put your recognition experience and rewards into your, your Venn uh, strategy. Uh, David. And it's actually a different language that I use, which is the three s- simple ingredients of a really powerful loyalty program experience. It's very, very, very straightforward. And everyone can remember this. It's SPV, simple, personal, and valuable. So there's layers underneath that. And there's a famous song in Australia called SPC, Baked Beans and Spaghetti. And (laughs) uh, everyone sings SPV, uh, uh, you know, simple loyalty, you know, loyalty programs, SPV. So simple, personal and valuable sort of aligns with your recognition, experience and rewards. Um, So whilst we sing it from different angles, which is fascinating in the way we research these days, is, and that's what I love about this seeing these different researches, the way Charlie has dug into so many different categories, and you've come from a different, it just educates and lifts all of us in our category to, to keep asking questions from different areas. I, I love what you've done in your study, David. Uh, thank you very much
2: I thought it was really interesting as well and I think it's that always that so what moment isn't it it's like you kind of you see the insight you see the research and you see well actually what can we do differently as a consequence and I think that relationship that you talked about between what people say and what they do I think is really interesting as well and we do the same thing here actually so we do the big kind of study and then the white paper and then behind it we have a very big data bank of all the rewards performance and actually we Mm. have split them out so whereas you're looking at kind of macro variables within the program we're kind of looking in detail actually what the rewards are and what we've done is we've tagged all the rewards that we work with with a, a suite of meta data to try and get under the skin of actually what's driving behavior at different points in the loyalty program life cycle acquisition to membership to engagement to lapse members so we're looking at categories like different types of mechanics that can be offered different emotions very similar again you know actually mm-hmm. those more extreme emotions those deeper emotional connections versus the kind of Lightweight kind of surprise and delight stuff. We're looking at the value, the topicality, the the yeah. method of delivery. A bit like in your steak example, you know, do you drive the steak round to the person's house, or do you actually take mm-hmm. them to the restaurant, or do you actually? You know, we've got a big trend in our market as well about the kind of cook at home box, where you get the chef at home ingredients, yeah. and and everybody's kind of making it. So we're looking at all of that, and I think what we've seen in in addition to that is a. A desire almost for complexity. Now, I wouldn't argue with your simplicity yeah. point, Adam, and I certainly would never answer with personal, but I think we've seen some programs that really break the mold and that really break the kind of rules that perhaps we've all grown up with in the last 10 years and loyalty come through and be extremely successful. So, there's a really interesting program which baffles us, right, called Voxy Drop. We're privileged enough to work on it. It's a telco loyalty program aimed at sort of 16 to 24 year olds. And when we were developing that program and thinking about it, and kind of bedded into the ethos of everything we do is kind of break the rules because that audience and actually we see it in the research we see it in their behavior kind of want a very different thing and i think probably if we had one of our voxy drop lovers on the call they'd be like no i don't want any of those things i want surprise i want spontaneity i want change i want positive disruption you know Mm -hmm. one month we'll do a, a we did a great partnership with them with cool earth where everybody could choose the projects that were then supported in the kind of the biodiversity space the next month we dropped a, you know an easter egg um, and that kind of that real mixing up all at different times and stuff and being inspired by the fashion industry drops is, is a totally rule-breaking program so I agree at a principle level but I do think sometimes there are some programs out there or some audiences out there or some sectors out there that kind of take a slightly different approach and it probably means the translation of those principles to that particular audience but I think it's an interesting kind of area have you got any programs like that out there
1: I would, I would say that going back to a point you made just a second ago, the key here is the emotional connection with the customer and the brand. That if you can find the right emotional connection, they're willing to take some more complex actions. They're willing to give a little bit more. They're willing to go through more discomfort. And it all stems back to while we were all under lockdown for so long, we got some very personal things taken from us. Right. The right to be with people, the right to connect, the right to not be alone, the right to actually socialize. And so the things that people are wanting before anything else is a meaningful connection. And and that meaningful connection means a little bit different things to different people. And so tapping into that, we're finding that customers are willing to do all sorts of things for that emotional connection. And the, the key is going to be if you can connect with your customers emotionally, then you are in a relationship just like you are in personal relationships. But if you are not, they're going to see you increasingly transactional right now. They're going to want their rewards for everything that they that you, that you they do for you. They're going to want it more frequently. And so the, the power of being able to identify what's emotionally driving a customer and act on that has, has never been greater than now.
3: But this is what I understood from your work, is and what what I liked about it is that is that you had this distinction of emotional and non-emotional customers, and then matching the right rewards to those customers. So you can be non-emotional, with and and match them to a transactional behavior, and that would make it an emotional program for them. But you that's, don't have to be. Kept. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're not we're not saying that that transactional programs are right or wrong. And I think that's where we've been wrong in the past is I think it's a simplistic view to say that. You need a program that is a, emotional benefits. I don't see it that way. I, I see it as being that, that there's a trade off, but both of them can coexist. They absolutely, absolutely, can coexist. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and I'm just talking on the emotional theme. And Ian would know this one is that that you know my my big word of of the year and next year and every year from now on is joyalty. Here we go. So, <laughs> so what is joyalty? So, joyalty is there. We go. Yeah, I've got to keep saying it. I'll never give it up. Um, you know, it's it's how how does a brand actually, in in de, by definition, you know, your fee, your customer's feeling of maximum joy and delight from one or a series of moments of magic delivered by your brand. So that's the definition. But underneath that is you know planned spontaneity. And funnily enough, he has an alert for next year. I'm looking at nine different. Uh, surprise and delight, joyalty moments in my research to see how how members actually uh, the appeal of those. So uh, let's let's stay true to emotion on that state. Okay, Ian, back to I you. Th-
3: I thought about you the other day, um, Adam, because my friend um, was building a bike. He he got an electric bike and he had to build it himself. And there was one particularly difficult bit where he had to, had to get the, the electric um, cable and put it through a thing onto one of the wheels. And it was really complicated. And at the, after doing that, he had to open this little box. And in the box was one of his party things. Oh, <laughs> I love it. it. And, and he, he texted me after and says, you'll never believe what they put in this.
0: And therein and then, lies exactly a brilliant example. But I, I don't know if you've heard or seen on the on the on the LinkedIn's and all the world, but IKEA family, a family, pro, you know, the program from IKEA in yeah, Australia sure. launched the the yeah, launched the uh, baller campaign, which they went to their top two hundred and fifty VIP members and gave them a free a year's free meatballs because meatballs at IKEA is one of the most favourite um, meals, and they sent out a card, a physical gold. Ball a card to 250 of the top to get free meatballs. Unbelievable moment of joy. So cleverly executed, you know, love in it. a loyalty program. Absolutely brilliant. I just love it. Mm. Um, and that's a pure, as per your party, your party story, Ian, um, that's another example of joy. <laughs> exactly.
1: I, I love the term. I love the term. I'm going to, I'm not going to I'm not going to use it without attributing it. I'll tell you that right now, but uh, I'll spread the word for you on this one. Uh, Just just
0: Um, a further attribution, uh, David. It comes from a book called Brand Currency about Amazon. So the word is not defined like I've defined it. The word I've borrowed from a book called Brand Currency, but they don't talk about (laughs) it in in the loyalty world. I've redefined it and now I uh, reuse it, but I do give it attribution. Um, You do, you do. And and, uh, yeah, so by all means use it, uh, attributed. To me, and then to them. <laughs> now, That's one thing perfect. I'd
3: la- one thing I'd like to unpack between Adam and uh, and Charlie is in both of your pieces of work, you find a similar finding, where in, in slightly different ways. So membership is going in, in Australia is 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 flat, and in the UK is is a slow decline membership of the big programs, and yet, at, at, or so membership in the UK is slightly declining of the big programs, and and you you define it, Adam, as being. Uh, active participation is in slow decline and yet the quality measures of a loyalty program changes of behavior and claimed changes of behavior like I visit more often I spend more often I, I do all of the, the, the positive measures are up in both cases how do you square that how what sense do you make of that
0: do you want to go Charlie
2: uh, yeah sure I think what we saw in Britain was that we were obviously during the lockdowns people weren't out engaging with their programs because they were locked in their house. So what we saw was a shift in program membership to the kind of home based loyalty um, brands that were there. And then we were let back out again. And what we're starting to see is a kind of a blip in the thing. What we're also seeing is the launch of some really new big programs. So you know, the big grocers that didn't have programs have launched them or relaunched them. um, Only in the last few months, we've seen huge brands like McDonald's launching loyalty programs in the UK. So I think Hypothesis is that membership is going to pick back up. Um, I think it was a temporary blip. We're keeping a very close eye. What we're seeing in terms of number of programs that they're a member of is really interesting as well. It was great to see Adam's report. I think you're at four point three. I think we're at four. In the oh, um, go on. The wrestling match starts in Britain. (laughs) Well, you know, close enough. It's horrible. I was trying trying to work out how many programs I'm a member of. It must be horrifying. I'm not even ever going to look for that stat. But it was actually what to us was really interesting is well, which four and how is that changing? we've seen some really interesting sports programs coming through and on the rise um, in our market as well so I don't think that we're in a long-term decline I think we were in a dip exacerbated by a fairly significant change in lifestyle and then we're going to see a pick up and then in terms of the the second part of the question, which is about the programs effectively, are they actually getting better at driving the metrics that we look at, you know, so we look at appeal, we look at emotional connection, we look at recommendation and then we look at impacts on kind of behavioral loyalty, frequency and spend. Um, and those kind of harder commercial metrics as well and what we're seeing is a fairly consistent rise in those and i think it's that programs are getting better i think it's that people are looking outside of their ecosystem looking at who's the best program and optimizing and optimizing and optimizing yeah Yeah. we had um, the antavo global report um you know that's come out saying you know the majority of loyalty program owners are going to shake up their program in the next three years and i think we're already seeing that in our market like the last three years have been pretty significant we've had some massive brands Ditch points completely. We've had some new brands that didn't have programs, you know, that should have always done launch these kind of behemoth programs. Interestingly, with points or points in disguise.
3: Um, but 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 that's an interesting point because both in yours and Adam's Adam's study, you you sort of highlighted that the traditional mechanics are still win, right? That they're under threat, but they still win. So people want rewards, they want cards, they want points, and they want you know it's about savings, it's about points, and it's about cards still. Right, I mean Adam. I don't you're argue saying, with
2: you with saying on cards, you know,
3: No, no, no. Argue. But but Adam, Adams Adams was does, saying yeah. that it's eighty three percent. Cards are going prefer. down. So was saying your, your your study said eighty three percent still people prefer cards, but actually what you're also seeing is in twenty seventeen, if you compare virtual card to a card, it was eighty one to five. Now yeah. it's. Now it's 49 to 23. It's, it, it's narrowing the gap.
0: And that's why you've got to be very clear about what cards are, because I made a mistake and I'll you know publicly admit it, that I just said, you know, do you interact with a program with a card? What we're finding is that people have cards like on the Stowe card on a digital, but yeah. we, are, we actually misinterpreted the digital versus the physical. So you've got to be very clear because people still interact with the card, but it's a digital card. It doesn't mean that it has to be versus the plastic. So we've got to be very clear about Mm -hmm. what that actual uh, uh, interaction element is. I just want to take a a step back, and then, David, I'd love to hear some thoughts from you as well, but on on this uh, volume of memberships and uh, discussion. And I'm very much of everybody says how many members they've got or how many programs they're joining. That's a vanity metric. So volume is for vanity. Then the next metric for me is activity. So what does active actually mean? And I see Charlie, you go quite deep, but a simple statement is you know have you actually presented you you know identified as a member and made a transaction in the last twelve months? That's a generic behavioral definition. Every brand behavior is different and 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 frequency is different. but activity is slow we dropped and now slowly increasing. So volume is for vanity, activity is for sanity. So that's what meant programs. Managers have to start thinking about the activity element, and then obviously revenue is reality. So uh, volume is one thing. Joining programs, uh, are you active, and then are you actually doing the 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 the, uh, the action? There you go, Ian. But this is where I
3: think there's some interesting stuff in your work, David, because you looked at NPS and value. Yeah, and I thought that was fascinating because we've got the activity piece, Adam. I totally agree we should be measuring that. But do you want to talk people through the? the NPS yeah. and value piece, because it highlighted some really unfound value out of programs.
1: Yeah, it did. And, and you know, there's only so much we can put on a two-dimensional piece of paper, right? And we, under our research, we've got some two and a half million data points in, in what we ended up doing. And we had to surface up the most salient things. But one topic that just kind of, you know, we know this to be true, but seeing it in black and white was just kind of almost laughable. What customers said they did versus what their transactions showed that they did oh, wow. who they yeah, yeah. who they claimed their favorite brand was and <laughs> what the net promoter score was for that brand for that customer these were wildly different and so we we had to figure out a way to reconcile that and we started with two data points and just paused on that because we we learned quite a bit about how consumers were behaving before the pandemic versus after before the pandemic Your best advocates were largely, and I mean overwhelmingly, your biggest spenders. Those who spent the most amount of money and engaged with your brand the most, these were your biggest advocates. And what we found was that it didn't quite shake out that way now. And so we took net promoter score and said, who's a a high net promoter score versus just a, a, a low net promoter score? And we took above average spend and below average spend, and that's it. And let's just pit those against each other. <laughs> and and to in basics. that, <laughs> right, it's, it's, it's super simple stuff. But we found some interesting things. We've labeled these groups. You do have the group that is high spenders, high advocates, and, and that group does exist but you have two other groups of high potential value that most brands aren't tapping into and they need to figure out what they should do when it comes to advocacy. The first group we're calling curmudgeons, right? And these are folks who have above average spend, but really low net promoter score. And it, it makes sense in some places, like suppose you're you're stuck in a, in a market where there's only one airline that dominates the, the hub, you know, or, or you're stuck with a, a, a particular utility or something, you might have, a, um, you used a word for this, Ian, what what did you call apathy. this? Stuff? My, Ap- my old MD, say <laughs> the biggest enemy of loyalty
3: is apathy.
1: Yes, right? You've got where you've got a bunch of folks that are just kind of forced into a program or they're there and they don't love it. And they may spend a lot. At the same time, they're tearing you down saying, ah, you know, this is- this, yeah. <laughs> this is the guy that sits
3: next to you at a dinner party and slags up his bank the whole time and never moves. Right? That's yeah. that's, yeah. that's yeah. right.
1: <laughs> and then the the so these are these are curmudgeons and it's not a small amount. It's about twenty percent of overall customers f- uh, uh, fit into this category where there's above average spend and and low net promoter score. And then on the far end of that, we've got customers who have off the charts net promoter score. And their spend is very, very, very low. And it makes sense when you step back and say, what's a brand that I love, that I advocate for, that I don't actually spend a lot on? You know, Harley Davidson has has a bunch of these, you know, big big brands that are recognized Ferrari. internationally. Ferrari is a great example. Most programs use advocacy within the loyalty program itself. Hey, refer a friend if you're um, X level, we'll give you a certain amount or... Um, you you know you look for you know statements from people who are who are high spenders and things like that but these other two groups the curmudgeons and we call them we call the the people with low net with with high net promoter score and low spend missionaries they're just out there preaching the word of your of your <laughs> brand so we, we we find that there's just different actions that brands will need to take to tap into those adam when when i when i heard you talk about spv just a second ago i I did my homework and on previous podcasts, I've heard you, I've heard you say those same, those same words before. So it, it really resonates. We don't have to do a lot to tap into these, into these particular groups, right? We can say we can leverage them for something simple, something personal, and, and create some value out of this within the program and get them to do something for you. And, and you put a value on that, though, as well, did you, David, in this work? Yeah, absolutely. You mean a financial value? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because for each of these, these high spenders, you know, they can't create another high spender if they're out there talking bad about you, right? Their friends are going to look more like them than, than other people's friends. And so you want them speaking positively of you. Missionaries, it's a little bit different. But of of all of these, about 40% of your customers fall into these side categories, And so there's just this huge untapped potential when it comes to advocacy. Good.
3: So just to end up tonight, can we just each of us have a just give a thought about what you've taken away from the discussion? Because clearly you've all done your work. What's what have you taken away from the the broader discussion of of what you take what you discussed tonight? Does anyone want to go first on that one.
2: I can if you like that's fine because um, I was listening just then thinking this is very interesting I, I, sh- mean, advocacy, I should
3: have warned you all beforehand No, I think advocacy <laughs>
2: is something that we all need to think about we all need to think about what drives advocacy with different types of audiences and actually how we can influence them but I think my key takeout's is going to be the joyalty piece Adam and um, I'm a sucker <laughs> for a soundbite, and I think actually what we're seeing and I'm really interested in is how the joy that loyalty programs can bring and that emotional connection how we we can hit that sweet spot now but also with our cost of living crisis at the moment how that is going to change and evolve over the next six months i think there are going to be some big demands on loyalty programs to kind of offer greater value and so i'm interested to see how loyalty will change and the subtleties within that over the next six months and i'd love to get some great case studies from the other markets as well to kind of inspire us
3: but i think i think that's a really good point because in a in a cost of living crisis when i was in back in 2009 we did a load of work. On what people were buying during a during a deep recession and actually it isn't often the luxury goods like sofas go out right but luxury goods like lipstick go through the roof Mm. so the little it it, is literally the joyalty in the life where you say you know what i'm going to spoil myself a little bit with a little luxury is really important, and so I, I think you're, you're right. It's thinking but about think those things.
2: We're spending. We're seeing some really interesting things coming out of the data. Actually, one of my brilliant strategists, James Davies, um, just put a, a blog on LinkedIn today. Definitely check it out. And actually, what we're starting to see is a correlation that people are pulling back on their well-being spend. So they're cutting their gym memberships. They're not looking after themselves. They're training their kind of their food and their diet differently. They're treating their mental health differently. At the point that they're kind of under maximum pressure. So James has a really interesting hypothesis that over the next six months what we're going to see and actually where loyalty programs can really add value is to provide those well-being benefits mm. back to people because they've cut the spend themselves so actually maybe that's a big area um, for loyalty as well actually in loyalty and I'm sure that actually when we start to look at the data and those insights there's going to be a lot of things like that that maybe are a little bit you know not quite the obvious like I think the obvious is you know we'll help people out with their grocery spend or the obvious is we'll do the kind of little treats and help with those spends but i think there's going to be some really interesting stuff that comes out and i think that work he did on healthcare i was like actually that's really interesting because that's you know something that we can see you know in our audiences in our customers we see it you know with the clients that we work with all the time so i think there's going to be a lot of stuff like that that we need
0: to uncover yeah and, and i'm going to bring what you just said and what uh um it's also just been mentioned, uh, you know, around the Joyalty thing. is I've actually just written a blog and it, it's fortuitous called um, Joyalty and the Lipstick Effect. It's actually <laughs> the headline of, of my next blog, of my blog, that I'm actually writing right now, which is to the point that you made about the lipstick effect, which is a, a known thing about uh, what happened in the lo- in, a, in a recession with uh, that high luxury buying lipstick, and Joyalty and how we connect those two with loyalty programs. So so watch the space in terms of bringing that together. It'll be really interesting uh chatting with your strategy or seeing your strategy person i've forgotten james i think it was his article because i might refer back to that but uh from this discussion it's fascinating Uh, you know i love david's work i was just looking at his four quadrant um uh grid and then i looked at my four quadrant grid and i think david we're we're brothers from a different mother um (laughs) in terms of how we just uh how we think and what you've done um, and I'll show you mine, you've shown me, your, you've shown me yours. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think it's amazing, and, and just today's discussion and and the way Charlie, it, you know, has gone so deep and so wide, I think, you know, th- there's so many things that come out of today, and Ian, you know, how you brought this all together with some of the other examples, as you said, the apathy, uh, there's so much that's come out of today's conversation. Thank you for bringing it together.
3: Oh, good. Well, thank you very much, uh, and thanks for being wonderful. on. David, do you have anything to add?
1: Yeah, I've got two things. One, I want to share my my brand of joy or my my last episode of Joyalty, and then I'll I'll tell you my big takeaway. Um I, I play guitar and I recently bought one of my dream guitars from uh, from Gibson. And after I've decided to purchase, after everything is said and done, there's no more selling necessary. Um, they brought out a picture of this guitar as it rolled off the factory floor and said, here's a baby picture for you to take with you on your oh. guitar. And to me, the, as, as a guitarist, this was like the greatest joy they could have, have just surprised me with. It's something that I want to frame. i will always keep it with the guitar. And it was just a nice little touch, that surprise. It was a meaningful thing that was just spot on. And,
3: and, and it cost
1: um, absolutely 0 yeah. Zero, not a penny. And it was it was a joy for the for the the person selling me the guitar to to present that to me. So I, I absolutely uh, second that. Um the thing the greatest thing I'm taking away from this discussion, um, absolutely loved uh, both what Adam and Charlie have done and what they're what they're working on um and and the way that they've interpreted the data. And that's my message to everybody kind of listening to this. I've seen so many reports that are just lists. Or data that's in some kind of an order, the application matters immensely, or else it's meaningless. And in seeing the wealth of, of of insight available from these three reports and from the experts that have worked on them, um, you know, for everybody listening, please reach out, talk, get in touch with with any of us because it's uh it's it's not common that you see this depth of application of data. And there's just so much to be done. It's an exciting time for loyalty. And every last thing that I've read uh, in the other reports was meaningful to me as a student of loyalty, who's been doing this for a long time. And so it's just very exciting stuff. And I want to say thanks to, to my counterparts for their contribution to this.
3: Yeah, so just all it leads to me is just comes down to say thank you very much. So thank you to Charlie Hills. Thank you for being on tonight. Just
1: Super welcome, it's been
3: brilliant. And thank you, David Dakis. Absolutely any time and thank you Adam Adam Posner in Australia thank you thanks
0: very much you and everyone
3: if you like this podcast please like share or comment on on LinkedIn using the hashtag the to podcast and we look forward to your company again soon thank you and goodbye